All right, everybody, welcome to episode 17 of the Pink Bike Podcast. This one is all about the XC field test. I'm Mike Levy, as always, and today we have Casimir. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm here. And as always, we have my boss, Brian Park. Brian, how's it going today? Good, good. Good. Why? I know, I got demoted. I'm still your boss. I liked it better when he was my intern. Yeah. Unpaid Unpaid. intern. Yeah. Yeah. Casimir doesn't realize it, but... That is making a comeback in a bunch of the videos that we're I'm sure it is because I wasn't in them. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We also have James Smurthwaite. He's going to read the news. Uh, And joining us a little later, we got Sarah Moore because we're going to talk field tests. We're going to talk cross-country bikes, a lot of cross-country bikes. Um, What do you guys, what do you guys think when I, when I say cross-country, Casimir, what do you picture? Uh, I picture light bikes. I do picture a lot of spandex, maybe some racing. Just, yeah, more focus on speed and fitness rather than getting super rad and yeah. going down the hardest stuff possible. Okay, okay. What about yeah. what about you, James? What do you see? Cross country. I picture those people who overtake you in like the last 100 meters of a climb and then hold you up the whole way down. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting so mad right now when you heard you say that. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Cross country. People walking into cafes going, yeah, clop, right. clop, 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 right. clop. Exactly. Like all the terrible cliches. In a lot of places of the world, it's not like that anymore, though. And a big part of that has to do with the latest bike. So that's what we're going to talk to in a little bit. First, James with the news. Thanks, Mike. Um, we'll start with the return of racing properly, and that's the Crankwork Summer Series. Um, so I think we've said a few times on this podcast that it's, it's unfortunate that Crankwork's Whistler can't happen, but... Um, you know, it's a great initiative from the Crankworks team to pull this socially distanced event together. And they've done a great job broadcasting loads of content and some lives events to us as well. Um, so as we record, uh, the first week has just finished in Silver Star. Um, Finals and Viva Beak uh, are currently leading, but there's still um, two, two more rounds to go. Um, the result of the week for me, though, was Brett Reader, who came third in the downhill. Levy, I think we owe you an apology for... Uh, in your, your I don't. I don't. I said <laughs> these guys are going to co- show up and destroy. I know they kick ass. I think Casimir was saying Reader sucks. No, I didn't say Reader sucks. I wanted <laughs> no, him to do joking. all Casimir <laughs> never said that. Just joking. Uh, I like Reader. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, he's nice. And very um, good on bike, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I did. Levy did. <laughs> and still no bike jousting, though. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe next time. It's unacceptable. They, why why won't these people listen to us? That's going to be the horse that we die on now. It was water bottles for a while. Now it's bike jousting. Did you say the yeah. horse we die on? Yeah. I like that. Was that on purpose? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it was not. A- <laughs> it's not noon. It's, I don't. My brain doesn't start working till noon. Uh, uh, rocket surgeon over here. Um, so normally at Crankworks, we kind of get to see the the. Uh, well, we get to see some new stuff. We always get some spy shots and things like that, uh, and this was no different. We spotted a new Rocky Mountain bike uh, being raced by their athletes there. Pretty fair to say this looks like a Rocky Mountain. You know, they've got that smooth link system that seems to be working for them, and they see no reason to change it. What can we expect uh, from this new bike, guys? Longer, lower, slacker. <laughs> I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I wouldn't take. Uh, yeah. I'd- yeah, I'm not yeah. going to bet against that. Maybe a little really more travel right know. now. I'd imagine it's probably, yeah, some sort of enduro-y thing since their enduro racers are racing it. Yeah, just kind of the next evolution of one of the bikes in their line. I understand why bike companies want uh, their models to look alike, especially models that are meant to do similar th- sorts of things. Man, it makes it a lot less exciting, though, when it just looks like another bike. You know, and this is santa cruz rocky specialized trek there's a reason for it they know what works um but yeah i wish they were i wish they looked different you know more exciting why because it'd be more exciting more interesting then they're trying new stuff and new th- i know there's reasons why they should <laughs> the track record of the bikes that you've ridden the weirdest looking bikes you've ridden haven't been the best bikes hey, out there no i'm not saying it's a good idea i just saying i wish <laughs> yeah. it'd be better for me it'd be better for us yeah. there and everybody else Fair. Easier to fill out a word count as well, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, some new stuff this week then. Uh, we saw the EXT Era 4. Uh, so EXT are an Italian suspension brand. 
probably most famous for their Storia and Armour shocks. Um, but we've now got this new Era fork as well. So it's Airsprung, um, travel 140 to 170, and it's 2.9 only for now. Um, if you want to learn more about the full internals, that's all on site. And Kaz, you just you said, uh, I've never ridden a fork that's felt this good right out of the box. Um, what makes you say that? Just the, I mean, for one thing, just how, I guess, supple or slippery it is. Just a lot of forks do have a little bit of a breaking period. Sometimes they just feel a little bit kind of sticky out of the box and takes a few rides. This one, from the just very start, it takes like barely any effort to make it initiate its travel. Um, but then you can still adjust the amount of ramp up, mid-stroke support, all those things. So it's super impressive for, it is their first fork that they've made so, for mountain bikes. Kaz isn't, uh, isn't normally a guy who waxes poetic about product. He, he doesn't normally overstate things in reviews and things. So when he says things this positive about a product, in, in our little meetings, we all go like, oh, wait, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's cool. And I, I think they're doing some really cool stuff over there. Um, it was a little frustrating. Some of the comments, people were just like, oh, it's the same as this. It's the same as this. Really similar. Kind of like the suspension version of looks like a session because, you know, it is a fork that uses air and oil and shims and those things are all the same. But it's kind of the, the recipe that they've got here, the combination of all those things and the attention to detail, I think, helps set this fork apart. I got a question for you, Cass. Yep. So uh high end suspension like you know the the lyric ultimate or the best 36 the factory thing all these things they're all pretty dang good mm-hmm. if you had the ext fork on the front of your bike is it noticeably better are you going faster or doing anything different because the fork is better yeah i mean i haven't done any time testing that would be pretty interesting just to take this and kind of time my laps against other forks but i will say the amount of traction that it delivers like it just hugs the ground just in a way that it feels like a coil shock would that kind of like initial suppleness is super impressive. Um, and it just feels, it almost feels too soft. I would say initially, like this doesn't feel like it's going to support me basically just because that beginning of the stroke is that, that able to, uh, absorb the ground basically. Um, but then it ramps up nicely. So you can sit in that sweet spot in the mid stroke, mm-hmm. without clanging off the bottom. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, it sounds great. If I was a consumer, I think, uh, especially if I was in North America, I'd wonder about service and warranty issues and stuff like that. So what are they doing for North America? Do they have distributors? and? Services? Yeah, there are distributors. I know in Squamish, I think Alba Distribution will be the one that'll be handling um, service. Well, that's convenient. Yeah, right. <laughs> so and we do have plans eventually to go up and visit them if the border opens ever, hopefully, because then um, I'd like to tear it all, all the way apart just to really yeah. get in there and see what's going on. Maybe they should uh, send me a fork and then I can go see them because I live in Squamish and then I'd also have a fork. I could maybe send you the fork that I have. No, I want my own fork. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but there are... This uh, one yeah. is like casimered up and stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, gross. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there are some service centers. I'm not sure who it is in the US, but I think there is one. Um, so yeah. How, that, how serviceable are they? Uh, medium. Like you can take the lowers off and you could do like your normal... Um, you can lower service at home without any special tools, but I think getting deeper in, you do need a couple tools that are from saw a bill from EXT. Yeah. Saw and a hammer. <laughs> um, but they usually do like for their rear shocks, they have full like service diagrams and manuals online. So, um, yeah, not quite as easy to service. I'd say as a, like a Fox or, a, or a rock shocks, but you could do it. The, the no break in period kind of scares me. You think, think you'll think, get bushing play? We'll see. But I mean, the bushings, that is another thing. Like they're all individually sized for each one. And like, it's kind of hand assembled there in, in Italy. Um, yeah, I, we'll see it how sounds, it holds it sounds up. Sounds inexpensive and easy to scale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's not a cheap fork. It's uh, I don't, retail price is definitely maybe $500 more or so than your top of the line Fox or RockShox offering. So definitely a boutique kind of niche item, but people that are having that want the best of the best it could be a, a good option casmer what was the least expensive bike that we tested in our value test at sedona probably about the price of this fork i think yeah i think right around that there. caliber was, yeah what yeah, would you I mean, what would you rather have that the the boss nut it won the impossible climb or this ext fork just well i'd rather have a bike so if it was either the fork or like I don't know. Testing. We got to tell this with time testing. What's <laughs> yeah, faster? Yeah. This bike or this or fork? one fork. <laughs> <laughs> the fork is really cool though. I don't know. I'm excited to spend more time on it and 
mess around with it. And it's this also, I had other people ride it. It was that good that I had, like I'd be in the middle of a ride and then just say, hey, you got to try this and like let my buddy ride the bike for a section of trail just to verify what I was feeling. And every time, every, every person that rode it was like, oh, that's something different. This is about as positive as Kaz gets for, for product uh, feedback. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. And they say they're making a coil version of it too, which is Why? ridiculous. I don't know. <laughs> How can it be any better? So that'll be cool to see. Uh, Danger Home is back. Uh, our favorite Scandinavian tinkerer. So you might remember two or three years ago, he tried to build the lightest two niner he could. So he ended up with a 14 pound hardtail and a 16 pound full suspension. Now he wants the lightest 29er downhill bike um, possible. So he's taken a gambler and he's stripped the clear coat. He's put a super lightweight build and even sort of dremeled some parts um so it comes in at 29 uh, and a half pounds apparently he could have gone even lighter but he went with aluminium wheels and put some cush core and stuff in just um i think because he, cause he wanted it to hold together basically um definitely a cool exercise but would you want to go this light on a downhill build yes yeah why not if i could we like people like this are fucking amazing. Like this guy, you know how long it takes to take the paint off a carbon frame by hand like that and to do all those things. I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. It's super. And I also respect him that he used real tires and real brakes. Basically he didn't go like full, full weight weenie where you just try to make it look like a downhill bike, but isn't rideable like one like this one. You could ride it hard. And yeah. So. But speaking of riding things hard, if you go to his Instagram, this guy also shreds. So for the people that are hating in the comments, yeah, no, this guy is probably better than you. Man, what is up with all the hating in the comments? Hey, yeah, body yeah, shaming? Yeah. Unacceptable. Come people, on. Yeah, need people to chill. This what guy's they, cool. Wait, body shaming? Yeah, they're like saying he shouldn't be, like, they're not stoked on his enormous quads. And the fact <laughs> he's wearing short shorts to show off his enormous quads. Like, if I had quads like that, yeah. I would I would wear the shortest shorts possible. Yeah, me too. Time. I'd be full speedo just in the supermarket. I mean, yeah, if I had cat or if I had legs like that, I wouldn't even wear shorts. Um, Cass, did, did you ever do anything like this? Have you ever stripped carbon off a frame? No, I've never gone full weight weenie. I don't think I've ever had a bike that was like fancy enough maybe to warrant doing that or. Yeah. Yeah. I've just never, I, I've always appreciated it, but I never have had like the patience or money yeah. or time to do it. I have this, that Mondraker downcountry bike here. That's pretty wild bike and I love it. I don't think Mondraker would want me to take the paint off of the razor blade before I send the frame back to them, but consider this a heads up, Mondraker. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. Sorry, Israel. <laughs> He's from Mondraker, people. Um, also on site, um, Dan Roberts uh, took an in-depth look at uh, seat tubes in engineering. So he discussed everything from how and why we measure them to what we can do to make them better. We've been banging this drum on seat angles um, for a while now um, for getting brands to steepen them up. But he also talked about a different approach being taken by Uno and Transition who list saddle heights along with seat tube angles. Um, do you think that's a better way to do it? Yeah, I think it, it makes it more useful. I think just the more useful that the geometry chart can be, the better for the consumer. You know, if you're a lot of people are making spreadsheets or just comparing charts before they even go to the shop or, or click purchase so i think the more information you can give them the better and it doesn't take long to get that information either it's not like it's a, a crazy amount of work to to provide all the important numbers to consumers people people are nerds especially when they're spending a ton of money um and i think they a lot of people want to know those numbers and they enjoy figuring out what works best for them that's part of the process right so yeah the more information the better do you think that there's a danger of getting of C tube angles becoming the same thing as head tube angles where people won't buy a bike that's a quarter of a degree steeper than the other bike they're considering? I think yeah, but I think it's like that with everything. There's always those people. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like your number. If you're hung up on that, you might as well buy the one that fits exactly what you want. But Obviously, there's more adjustment. It's easier to adjust your seat tube angle yeah. by sliding your seat forward or backward than it is your head tube angle or your like dramatically, length. like dramatically changing your seat seat tube effective seat tube angle. Yeah, I mean, what? How much is it per ten mils of adjustment? Is that like half a degree? I don't. I can't remember. Math, math. Yeah, the math is hard. We need Dan, but but yeah, I mean, you shouldn't get too hung up on a seat tube angle, but they are pretty important these days, especially with how long bike front centers are getting. Like. It's noticeable for me when I hop on a bike and it feels like it's super long when I'm sitting sitting down. But well, and also it's such a 
the bigger effect is on your effective top tube for your seated climbing position. So important. So for me, it's more of a, if you had to, if you had to slam your seat forward to get into the right pedaling position, and then you've got too short of an effective top tube, that's the danger. So even if you get your seat tube angle correct with the slamming it forward, no, well, I don't. No, I don't think about that. I think basically all I'm conv- all I'm concerned with when I'm riding a bike is how that cockpit feels. So basically, my effective top tube. Like I don't care where my. I just like if I'm slamming it forward, it's to make things make me more upright and make that. So you don't really care about the your the relation of your, like your seat to your pedals. I really like being up on top of that. No, I don't really pay attention to that as much. Like I'm not like putting the plumb bob down anymore. Oh no, like that. No, like, yeah. I feel like the the plumb bob folks are all rolling in their graves anyways. But they're not C two no. angles. <laughs> yeah. the steep. One of them yeah. is James Wang, so he's definitely yeah. not rolling. Sorry, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. We'll finish the news with a couple of videos then. Um, first, Remy Mataye's first shred it since twenty seventeen. Um, I uh, can I just stop you one second. I saw that. I'm going to call you out. You wrote that, didn't you? The the line that said first shred it since two thousand seventeen. That's what Remy says. Oh, okay. Well, he's got a ton of videos out there of him Yeah, but they're shredding. just vlogs. That, yeah, it's, oh, it's not God. the same. This Shredder. is a different I just, video. I hate that word. Give me a break. <laughs> Curmudgeonly. <laughs> and the video is freaking amazing. James, go ahead. You, you guys are in Squamish, <laughs> right? So you've seen these um, yeah. moves, these slabs. Like, what kind of perspective does that give you on it? So I can't begin to describe how gnarly that video is. It's probably the craziest video I've seen in years and years and years. And it's not just the fact that he's doing those things, jumping over all the things. And it's the precision. You see him, he needs to land in something that's like a little pocket that's as long as his bike. And he has to stop there and turn left. You know, there's exposure and that's over and over and again. He has these like just very precise controlled riding it's yeah it's impressive yeah and it's hard to show the perspective of how cool. steep some of those moves are like some of the things he's airing into you're like oh that's cool but like i've ridden a bunch of them and mm-hmm. it's everything i can do to stay in control just while riding down it normally without airing into it yeah there's a 90 degree turn after it like it's it's really yeah. impressive kaz and i we ride some steep stuff here and the things that he's airing into are things that we roll into very slowly <laughs> controlled <laughs> yeah impressive stuff it's very cool to see the the French free racers putting so much work in during this time when a lot of people we were asking last podcast like what's what's going on with a lot of these free riders but Remy and uh and Johan are just putting in work. I know Johan's sprucing up like old free ride uh, like New World Disorder um stunts. That's his new project. He's like finding old sleigh lines and like revamping them again. It's all just about recycling. He yeah, all he's about finding recycling. the old wood and riding old skinnies like I yeah, I'm just glad those two guys are out there making some entertainment. Uh, speaking of Frenchies, um, I heard that Johan paid you a visit, Mike. Anything yeah. you can tell us about that? Yeah, he. So we were wrapping up filming on the Grim Donut Part Two. Everybody, just so you know, for real this time though, we're not even joking around this time. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I am joking. But we did some we did some time testing with Yoan. He brought his 2021 enduro bike out, his race bike, and we brought the Grim Donut, and we went up to Pemberton and. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. He, This man is crazy. Yoan, you are crazy. You are a crazy man. Try he was it. going so fast on the donut down this trail. I was worried. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he hit his pedals. Uh, one time he, did, he rode for maybe like 20 seconds and he hit his pedals three times on the donut. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the film is great. <laughs> yeah. All right, enough. Don't blow the spot. Yeah, no. And <laughs> <laughs> um, one last video then, literally just posted up just before we recorded, uh, the Nico Vink uh, forest fire video. Um, pretty cool, mainly for the return of Ryan Gibb, um, who was one of the directors uh, on Life Cycles. And um, yeah, he's certainly not harmed that legacy with this one. It's really, really cool. So I mean, the writing, it's whatever, you know, fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sick. Yeah. It's quite a cool video. Have you guys seen it yet? I haven't yeah. watched it yet, no, but I'm gonna. It's worth your time. Yeah. Um, and Gip holy, does amazing stuff. I can't. I, I almost struggle to enjoy it because I know about how much work went into the back end of it. You, you can't just turn off the the cinematography side mm-hmm. and just enjoy the riding. But yeah, it's so wild. Yeah, 
I don't think people realize sometimes how much time and effort goes into like a, what, Brian, like four seconds, a four second shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. All right. So that's it for the news today. There's a lot of news. It's almost like we've been working or something here, posting stuff on the website. We're going into questions. And the first one is from PickBike user Blum Bloom 585 he asks, what bike will Mike Levy choose to use for his double gravel Everest attempt? Well, probably my gravel bike. I mean, I'm going to do it on gravel. And I want something light and sporty with curly bars. What yeah. gravel yeah. bike do you have, Mike Levy? <laughs> okay. It's a, a BMC. It's a BMC URS. Uh, I Unfortunately, it's a one-by bike. I picked it up. Because I thought it looked really freaking cool. I didn't even notice that it only had one chainring on it. I live in Squamish. It's so steep here. So I'm just in the process of putting a uh, like a hybrid axis red ETAP drivetrain on it to give me easy gearing for this gravel attempt. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's actually it's on, doing boys. things. It's on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not anytime soon, though, because I'm currently crippled, but it is definitely on in like a couple months, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in time for the snow to cancel things. Oh, darn. Yeah. I don't know. going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the next question. Pickbike user DubOD22 says, how about a discussion for another time on the most iconic bike of all time? Um, after Finn Isles' impossible feat of winning on an enduro bike, he's talking about the Stumpy. Uh, surely there's enough to talk about uh, through all its different iterations. We've done exactly this, haven't we? Yeah, we talked about the most iconic bikes, but we can do it again. Yeah, yeah, What's for sure. But we've also bike? we also do the series uh, that was a bike where we talk about a bike's development uh, from start to finish. So Dub O D twenty two, if you're interested in that, look that up. But we're going to do a podcast roughly on that in the near future. Our last question is from Oz Huck to Flat. He says, "Why is the pivotal saddle standard so widespread in BMX, but hasn't been adopted for B?" For mountain bike. Casimir, what is that? Can you explain that to people? Yeah, pivotal is basically you have a seat with a hole in the center and you can adjust. Um, that's how you reach the bolt for that seat. And it kind of tilts on a, how to describe it, the top of the seat post has basically like grooves in it or ratchets. So you can kind of get your, um, your really coarse angle. ratchets. So you can't. Coarse ratchets, yeah. Out. Yeah. And you can't slide it back and forth though. The, you, the new ones you can. You can? Yeah, you have oh, four aft now. Yeah. How, they, so, how are they doing that? That's clever. I assume more ratchets. Yeah, oh yeah, always more ratchets. Longer. Then you're getting close to like STGI beam style. Yeah, exactly. Like, so why do you think that we're not using these these pivotal setups in mountain bikes? I mean, I think I would say like we were talking about the the adjustment isn't fine enough for people to want like really, you know, fine tune their saddle placement. Yeah. Um, I beam makes a to, ton of sense to, to me. Dropper posts. We don't see I beam around. Why Why don't we see I beam around? They were I, snapping some things. Well, I mean, everybody's seat, everybody's bent or broke at a seat at some point. I think uh, they were having issues early on with them being forgiving enough because saddle feel, um, some of it comes from the flex of the the shell over top of the rails. Mm -hmm. So with an I-beam shape, I think theirs weren't as forgiving as they needed to be. Uh, but then they changed some things and made it more open in the center, I thought. Honestly, I think rails have just been around for so long that that's just what we're used to. And nobody who makes a dropper post has really made an I-beam compatible version that's really gone anywhere. There were adapters years ago, but not anymore. So That's yeah. what my bike needs more of, just more adapters. <laughs> yeah, see, but see let, me, adapter. let me put it to you this way. If you could just buy whatever dropper post you want and whatever comfortable saddle shape that you prefer and it use an I-beam rail and the post use an I-beam head, doesn't that make a lot of sense? I think so. I mean, I'll be honest, ever since I stopped thinking I was a free rider, I don't really wreck saddles anymore, so. Yeah, same here, to be fair. I don't really, I, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm the, I'm the target audience for a pivotal or an I-beam saddle standard. I think yeah, they could I, make the I-beam lighter. I think they could. If you care about those things. Like apples to apples later? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 And I, I could see like a pivotal seat on a downhill bike where you just kind of don't need a ton of adjustments. You're not going to be running a dropper post, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I don't really wreck too many saddles these days. Yeah. So there you go, Oz Huck to flat. We have no idea. We, no. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, we didn't answer this question at all. No. Do, you think weight, do you think weight has anything to do with it? 
I'd say wait. I think for the dropper posts, you have a lot of posts. You need to access the air from the top there, so you'd be oh, covering okay. it up with the ratchets. That just make a pain for assembly and and service. No, they need. You need to have a big, a big uh, um, thread threaded section in there to for the bolt. So mm-hmm. they would take up a lot of real estate now that we kind of need on dropper posts. Yeah, that's a good point. You that wasn't stuck originally in your old ways with your seat rails. <laughs> with your seat rails and your upper uppy downy posts. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. And now we're going to be talking about the XE field test. Those videos have been dropping over the last week or so. We've got a few more to come, but if you guys are listening, you get some sneak peeks and some kind of behind the scenes insight on what you're going to be reading about and watching in the near future. So are we going to be talking winners and losers, Casimir? We'll talk about some favorites and least favorites. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I just want to know what you guys have been doing out there. Um, and we're welcoming Sarah Moore here now. She's joining us for this part because she Hello. was the other half of the duo that got to test all the new cross-country and down-country bikes. So much spandex, so much fun. Yeah. Are you still wearing spandex? Are you wearing Always. spandex right now? Definitely. Yeah, me too. Me too. Made for yeah. radio. Made for I just get out of bed and I slip into my Lycra. Just feels natural. Ready for the day. Ready for the day. I feel so fast. Brian, <laughs> that's how I'm so efficient. That's how I get so much work done. <laughs> this, yeah we'll talk about spandex a little bit later <laughs> i have strong opinions about it but um yeah i guess we could just start with the, the big topic your favorite bikes and uh, and then we'll kind of go from there but we'll start with sarah since we've been your your bikes came up first you were kind of focused on the more race oriented more pure hard uh pure pure cross-country bikes so what was your favorite out of those four we had the See if I can name off the top of my head. There was the Specialized Epic, the Cannondale Scalpel, the Trek Supercaliber, and the Canyon Lux. Yeah. Um, I'd say my favorite was probably that Cannondale Scalpel, which even with that lefty fork, I was a little nervous about it. First time I rode it, and it just really surprised me. It felt really comfortable for an XC bike. It had great traction, and I set my fastest time on it as well. So, yeah, it was... Yeah, pretty cool. It seemed like it seemed like there were sort of the two camps of the more uh, racy super caliber kind of side of things, and then the more almost a trail bike ish looking looking over the fence at the downcountry side of things with uh, with the epic with very aggressive modern geometry and the Cannondale Scalpel with somewhat aggressive somewhat modern geometry. Um, and so for you, the Scalpel seemed like it was sort of that middle ground for you. Yeah, that's the way I kind of divided them in my head is like the bikes that are more fun to ride downhill and the bikes that are only fun to ride uphill, basically. Um, Yeah, that being said, like the Cannondale, like I would definitely do a cross-country race on it. Like it's not a full-on downcountry bike like the bikes that Leafy was racing by any means, you know. So I would say they're definitely all race bikes that I was riding. They were just kind of two different approaches to... um, how the companies did it, like a little bit more modern geometry, a little bit more comfortable on the downhills, a little less scary. And then you had the uh, Trek Supercaliber and the Canyon Lux that were a little bit um, pointier, let's call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, it kind of shows the split we're seeing even in the race world too. Just, you know, some racers do want that more modern feeling bike. And they're seeing more dropper posts than ever. Um, I think, did only one of your bikes come with a dropper post? Yeah, just though? the Canyon Lux came and with the dropper surprising. post. Yeah. And a 70 degree head tube angle. Yeah. Right. Was, yeah. You can't change geometry with the dropper post. When worlds uh, collide. Yeah. yeah. Somebody was like, why did you ride that bike with the dropper post on the time descent? And I was like, well, it didn't win the time descent. And I was pretty scared of riding it without the dropper post. So yeah, science. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that does make sense from a, from a spec perspective too. It's like, you know, your bike doesn't have, I don't know if it launched with a dropper post or not, but you know, your bike isn't going to be able to compete with some some other things so spec to its weakness why not yeah that makes sense yeah no, sense yeah, no, yeah nobody was complaining about dropper posts on these bikes but it is you know one thing we're starting to see where even just a few years ago you know a pure xc racer wouldn't even consider the weight penalty that comes with that but courses are getting more technical and kind of getting less tame which is really cool to see and i think it's helping bike development so yeah Sarah, and would also, you, oh, sorry. yeah and also like the dropper posts are getting better like that was the kind of the thing with the lux one it was just a little bit hard to work but if you have something like an axis dropper post it's so easy to put up and down that you're you're not worrying about something else when you're riding like the canyon lux one it was just like something else to think about so it was almost more distracting than not having a dropper post at all in that case Mm -hmm. 
So you like back from when you raced XC to now, what what was the what were the biggest changes in the bikes? Well, I thought I just got a whole lot better riding bicycles, but there's also some <laughs> changes made to the geometry. And I mean, I used to ride, I remember like 29ers came out when I was racing cross country and it was like, are you going to ride a 26 inch full suspension bike or a 29er hardtail? And I made the uh, 29er, yeah, hardtail. And I made the jump over to a 29er hardtail. So I was riding, I don't even know, I looked up the geometry recently, a Trek Superfly from 2012 is when I was like full into the racing and training seriously. And it had an even steeper head tube angle than the uh, Canyon Lux, you know, like the bikes that I was riding 10 years ago to the bikes that we're riding now, it's just like night and day. You can't even compare them. Yeah, yeah, definitely good improvements. Makes it easier for your average rider to feel above average when they hop on them, which is always nice. Exactly. Yeah. So, speaking of average riders, Levy, let's go to talking <laughs> oh, about nice your transition. bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Levy's really good at bikes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Levy had, unpaid unpaid but, um, intern. Um, oh. Yeah. Unpaid yeah, intern yeah. definitely got me there. <laughs> How long have you been holding on to that one, Kaz? That was off the top of my head. I'm, I'm smooth. He's quiet, but when he says <laughs> something, he just... Jab. Yeah. No, it's great. But Levy is a good rider, and he was in the downcountry category, which he invented, so he got to ride his oh, own Don't say that. Bikes Do not that. say that. Enough people oh, don't like me already. That's okay. Five bikes that you had. You had the Transition Spur. You had the Specialized Epic Evo, the Cannondale Scalpel SE, the Yeti SB115, and then the Revel Ranger. So kind of an interesting mix there. Again, down country bikes that aren't, they're still light, still cross country oriented, but they're usually come maybe a little bit wider tires, maybe wider bar, shorter stem, those type of things. We did use control tires, but um, the geometry is still going to be a little slacker and longer on these things typically too. So what was your favorite out of those five? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. And so my whole job is I'm supposed to have opinions and not sit on the fence, Mm -hmm. but I've sort of been going back and forth. Um, So the most interesting bike and the bike that stood out to me the most, I mean, that spur is freaking wild. It's something else um, on the trail, but it's also a really aggressive bike. Like it works best when you're riding it aggressively on terrain that's, Actually, I'm not, you know, it's it worked best on all sorts of terrain, but you just have to be going hard on it. That's what it felt like to me. Um, whereas the Specialized Epic Evo is definitely more versatile. So, you know, one of those two. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you can. There's, I think there's kind of a split. Like there's both. Yeah. It's almost like a subdivision and between two bikes in the same category. There definitely is a split too here. <laughs> we don't want to tell people this. It's down country plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, don't do that. No. <laughs> but super what, down country guys. Yeah. yeah. But what we're seeing is some of my bikes are built using either the same frame as the company's cross country race bikes or just the same front triangle. Whereas the ones that aren't, they can be made a lot more aggressive on the geometry department because they don't have to be ready for some World Cup guy or designed with that in mind to race at that kind of speed and those types of settings. So, you know, the spur doesn't have to do that. And that's why a large can have a 480 millimeter reach and a 66 degree head angle and this stuff and a steep, I forget what the seat angle is, but it's steep. But mm-hmm. yeah, whereas the Evo uses the same front triangle as the race bike. It's it's like we said before on the field test that half of them are kind of uh, dieting dieting trail bikes and the other half are roided up XC bikes. Like yeah, race that's bikes. a good way yeah. to put it. That's a yeah. good way to put it. Would you do an XC race on the spur? I would, but I wouldn't buy it with that in mind, especially if I was going to do more than a couple. Like if I was just going to be casually out there doing an XC race every now and then, yeah, maybe. And you could build it light. The thing was... 24 something with our pretty light Schwalbe tires on it. So you can, you can get it light. You can get it lighter than that. Probably. It's just the geo. Yeah. What would you use for BCBR? Be sorry for BC bike race. And it has to be like a marathon, a marathon stage race. Yeah. It has to be out of these five down country bikes. Yeah. Or Sarah's. Yeah. Or any of these out of these. Oh, I mean, yeah, I would definitely pick a full on race bike. I would, 
geez, I don't know. You know, I might reach for the, uh, the super caliber is pretty neat, isn't it? I like that. Oh, would you put some meteor tires on it? No, it's a cross country race. Full? I'd put yeah, an insert. I've, in I've never back. done it, but it looks like a, you might want something yeah. less than like a. We can no. put tires on all of them. It did come with pretty lightweight cross country tires out of the box, though. Yeah, it would depend. Um, I've raced it on super light tires, had no problems, and I've raced it on sort of medium tires and had a flat, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, but I would run like an XC insert in the rear wheel and uh, shorter stem, wider handlebar. But that's because I think my weakness is the climbing. Um, so I would want a full-on racy, sporty bike like that because I could descend fairly well, uh, relatively speaking, in the cross-country world. So I could probably still use that bike to my advantage on the descents. Sarah, which one would you take for BCBR? I mean, the Trek Supercaliber is really fun, but I think on a longer, like, multi-day event, it would just it's pretty rough on the body. Like there's just 60 millimeters of travel compared to the other ones that all had hundred millimeters. So I'd probably go with the specialized Epic or the, um, uh, Cannondale scalpel, which just had a little bit more supple feeling so that on like one of those long races, you wouldn't just feel like your back was like locked up at the end of a four hour day or that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I guess the other question that everyone's going to want to know is the least favorite out of all these. So we'll go back to you, Sarah. So which is the bike that didn't quite make you as happy as the other ones? It's pretty easy. It was that Canyon Lux. Uh, you know, we were kind of curious, like it was our baseline, I guess, that we wanted to know how much have bikes changed in the past two years. And um, it kind of was exactly what I expected from a cross-country bike. You know, it felt harsh. Um, it was great at climbing, but in a way that it, it was good at climbing fire rows. It wasn't as good at like technical climbs. It didn't have as like an active suspension. Um, and so every time I got off of it, it was kind of a relief because it was just, it, it um, just wasn't as comfortable and fun to ride. And uh, then as soon as things started going downhill, it, you know, felt like you were going to fly over the handlebars. So yeah. every time I switched when we were filming and stuff to another bike from the Canyon, I was like, huh, wow, this is the best bike ever. Sarah, did, did you have any moments of flying over the handlebars in any of the bikes? I had one close moment, but it was not as theatrical as yours that we put in the intro. <laughs> oh, the yeah. best intro. Every time I <laughs> watch the videos, I'm so happy. <laughs> that was a My pretty scary moment in real life, though. Like, for those of us that were, like, watching Levy, like, almost fly into, I think it was nah, Max. I knew I had it. I had it. No way. <laughs> that was the, the scream of, I didn't like, even crash. Terror. I rode out of that. Just yeah, you did. Knows. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I did, I did one of those. But, yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah, kind of on the front yeah. of the bike and, right. Yeah, for everyone listening, when, when filming happens, Levy goes 120%. Like most times you're supposed to go like 80 or 90, but Levy goes 120. So it's really impressive and sometimes frightening to see how quick he goes when the cameras go on. It's Yeah, and kind of not special. where you expect him to go. Like it's always like the super, super tight inside line. And you're like, I was just standing there, but <laughs> well, I'm in the wrong place, obviously. <laughs> and yeah. Kaz, that's not true. I would like to think I ride like an idiot most of the time. Not just yeah, no, that's true. On. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, but you yeah. go even more. Like, yeah, I'm always surprised how much more you can turn it on for the cameras. <laughs> I, I don't do that usually. <laughs> I go slower for the cameras. Mm -hmm. I like to still photos. It's, yeah, still photos are the best because you can just uh -huh. you know nobody really knows no how pressure. fast you're going, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we should talk a bit about why we included the Lux because it it wasn't really normally the field test is about the latest and greatest, and in in the comments the last few times out, people have suggested putting a baseline bike in so we can see what's happened in from sort of the last sort of standard set of bikes. Uh, so that's why we chose the Lux, but there were definitely some comments in there about why we didn't choose some other bikes. Hey, Kaz? Yeah, a lot of people were asking about the Scott Spark. Um, I mean, the real reason is there's only so many bikes we can test in a set amount of time. I mean, obviously, we'd love to test every single bike and have, you know, hundreds of bikes, but we have to test other things okay but casimir why did you have the lux instead of the spark why did why did we go with that we basically had to choose one over the other and it just came down to the lux um but there's no particular reason and both bikes in recent years have had results at the top level of the world cup so that's kind of how they ended up on our list and there's also the fact that uh more than likely that spark is going to get updated before the lux uh, just kind of based on when the spark came out so we're hoping that we see a new spark relatively soon um, and then the lux will be a little after that so that's kind of why we did that 
There were a couple of comments that said, is it because Levy likes Matthew Vanderpool more than Nino Scherter? And I was like, Nino is like Levy's favorite person ever. Yeah. <laughs> so Nino, I, Nino <laughs> if you're listening, and I know you are, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why. But, uh, you know, just something we're kind of trying to do when we can with these field tests, just have a bike that serves sort of as a baseline. It won't always happen, but it was kind of neat this time just to be able to see where bikes were just two years ago, which isn't that long, but there has been a change. All right. Well, now turn it over to you, Levy, for your least favorite out of those five bikes. Which one didn't wow you as much as you hoped? This one's a funny one for me because I used to really like this bike when it was called something else and had a bit less travel. (laughs) Uh, So for me, the least favorite would be Yeti's SB115. Then it uses the same frame and, well, same frame entirely as the SB100 that I gushed about. Uh, And now... It's got a 130 millimeter fork on the front and has 115 millimeters in the back instead of 100. Uh, very similar geometry, basically the same geo. And it just didn't stand out to me. The, the large has a fairly conservative reach, which is fine. There's no right or wrong in that department. Uh, and then the head angle is 67 and a half, I think. It just didn't, yeah, it didn't really stand out like the other bikes, you know? Like the, the, the Ranger has a similar head angle, but a much longer reach and that package and steeper head angle, it just feels more forward thinking and capable. Yeah. Yeah. The, the SB, SB 115 is almost more of a little carryover, kind of like a, a tweak they did to keep it relevant for a little longer, but I'd imagine we'd probably see something new in this realm in the future. I don't think that that's what they would design if they were starting from scratch for sure. Exactly. At, yeah, they just looking at the rest of their line. The rest of the line has is so progressive and forward thinking. I just, I just don't think that the one fifteen is what they would do if they were doing it from scratch. Molds are expensive, so you know I have no doubt they're working on something now with uh, more, more better geometry. But for this, yeah, I'm gonna have to say the SB one fifteen was bottom of the pile. The pile of bikes that are pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. Like if someone yeah. has a one fifteen, your bike is still good, and you're gonna have yeah. a good time on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do have to pick favorites. And so we did. And then I guess we can go to more general topics of what you guys have learned from riding all these bikes. Do you think that geometry is going to change dramatically even going forward from these? Like, are we going to see even slacker cross country bikes coming out or does this feel pretty good? You can go to Sarah. How is your, what do you think could be improved in the cross country race world? I don't think we're going to see like all of the cross country bikes suddenly turn into, you know, spurs and everybody's racing on that in like two years. (laughs) Cause I mean, like these bikes are really good at climbing. They're just getting better at climbing. They're getting, you know, more traction. They're not just like these super, um, you know, bikes that kind of bounce you offline when you're climbing and not across traversy sections. Like they're a lot more comfortable. They're like insanely lightweight, like 21.2 pounds for that specialized Epic. Um, so I think they might keep getting a little bit lighter. I don't know how light they can be without, you know, being worried that you're going to break them when you're, uh, you know, sending them off these drops and these cross country courses. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, have a crystal ball for like, what are they going to look like in two years? It's hard to like, I, I imagine they'll, all bikes will kind of catch up to where that specialized Epic is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see them changing a lot more than that like it's hard for racers who are used to riding a certain kind of bike for like i don't even know like 800 hours of training a year to then feel comfortable changing um so it'll be definitely like a very gradual process if you have a whole lot of top racers yeah that makes sense i mean yeah it's once you're used to something you're not gonna it's not the same as just a kind of everyday trail bike or enduro bike we can kind of throw a bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks like XC racers and riders tend to be on the X and the races are one of the of climbs them. too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I they're would, not. Sorry, I would have to. I'd have to agree. This the field test has really underlined that for me. Having these, you know, so-called downcountry, cross-countryish bikes here that are relatively quite slack, right next to bikes that are very much meant to be pure race bikes. It's sort of underlined that that. Yeah, I'd agree with Sarah. They are going to get a bit slacker and a bit longer. I mean, it just makes sense. I don't like to die on the downhills. Who does? Even if you're wearing tight clothing, you still don't. You know, you want to be better. You don't want to die when you're yeah, wearing yeah, tight yeah. clothing. You need to stay on the bike. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's reasons why they're going to get more capable on the downs, but there are much better reasons why they won't go to where the spur is um, or even the Evo probably. 
like is your it's a mass start race as well. So I think that the quick handling is still super important and the climbing ability on like super tight hills is yeah. su- still super important. They're race bikes. They're not like they're not meant to be these things that you and shred the corner super hard and you know. and races are getting shorter and shorter too for tv like short track is 20 minutes now it used to be like you'd have a two and a half hour um mountain bike race and now you know you can put up with more on a shorter race course so um they don't need to be super comfortable is it not maybe the case that there's not there's only so much you can do in terms of efficiency and climbing performance really to a bike that the place where we might be able to actually get some more performance is in the descents and the traverses. Touche. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a fair point for sure, but I don't think out and out cross country racers are willing to give up anything on the climbs. And I do think that you do have to give up a little bit if you want that, you know, um, I just want to, I want to roll back to 2018. Oh, here we go. And a conversation that Levy and Kaz were having at the field test in 2018. Uh, up in Whistler, there was some late night argument. All we do is have... Of I was probably sleeping. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, Sarah, you were already sleeping. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm trying to remember the exact context, but it was something about predictions of head two bangles of XC bikes in 2020 i remember it like it was yesterday well why don't you tell the people then (laughs) ah well it was exactly that casimir and i were arguing about where xc race geometry was heading and casimir i swear you were convinced that there's no reason why an xc bike couldn't be a like you know 64 degrees and and i think you did say that you you could see that other things would have to change to maybe make that happen but yeah, I still, I disagree with I think, you. And now I definitely I disagree. <laughs> I think he said 66. Yeah, I don't think I... I, don't, I Kaz, <laughs> answer the question. I don't, I'm, I don't think he's ca- giving you a fair characterization. I don't think you were advocating for 64 degree XC bikes. I, I think you were now that I remember, Kaz. No, no, me no, and I my think great was, memory. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, at, at that time, they were still in that 70 degree realm. So going slacker like this, I think... For me, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I don't think they need to be downhill bike head angles, but I do think it's nice to see that they've become more comfortable. It's funny, like that 65 to 67 range, I mean, it's two degrees, pretty big difference. But when you're, when a bike is in there, they're very rideable. Like if a bike has a head angle in that zone and you can pretty much ride most things and be, feel pretty comfortable. Can, can I just, I just want to just small tangent here, since we're talking about head angles, I just want to mention during Grim Donut testing, we realized that Yoan's bike his head angle is six degrees steeper than the Grim Donut. And he was doing back-to-back <laughs> runs. <laughs> yeah. Head angle's not everything, folks. Like, the, no, it's when, there's, there's so much more to it. So I know it sounds like we're talking about, like, you know, head angle is the defining character. It's not. That's not how the way it works. But it is a way we can look at a bike and sort of get an idea. I would argue that head angle and reach are the two most important characteristics in both defining a bike's ride. Yeah. And if... and seat angle and effective top two change 10 length i mean all and the numbers all come together that's why we, <laughs> we, oh, we use, and that's why we ride them and, it's almost like yeah. it's a podcast with a bunch of bike reviewers i know but <laughs> yeah anyways it's cool yeah. to see that you guys got to ride all these new bikes and kind of check them out so everyone should watch the videos and read the articles i that's just it. don't think we should i just no, don't think we, we should let i just don't think we should let Levy off the hook you said that no way bikes are going to get into 66 degree head tube angle realm for xc bikes and now we have xc race bikes at 66.5 67.5 Which, head, and a half for the which XC race bike has a 66.5? Well, sorry, whatever. The, the no. Epic Evo. Yeah, that's not an XC. Oh, Evo? Yeah, not. The, the Evo is 66.5 degrees. I swear Casimir was trying to convince me that XC bikes would be... No, he was not con- trying to convince you that it'd be 64. No. He was yeah. talking like that. and I, I, was on, I had a broken back and I was on a lot of drugs at that point, so I don't oh, really yeah. remember. So All I know is that I agreed with Kaz and I wouldn't have suggested a 64 degree head to mangle XC bike. Yeah, yeah. So I probably I, said 65 or... So I wouldn't want to race cross country on a bike with a 66 degree head angle. No. And this, Epic what would Evo, be the, uh, we have, but why, like what would happen that you would make you think like, this is bad. I'm going slower because I'm more comfortable. No, it's not that it's when you're like breathing through your eyeball. This is what I sound like. <laughs> because of your head angle. No, because I'm, I'm no, <laughs> 
only when, yeah, because of the 70 degree head angle. And that's what I sound like when the wind gets knocked out of me when I crash. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, because I'm going up the climb and I'm breathing through my eyeballs. I have no coordination left and I want to stay on the line I want to stay on because there's nine dudes who are fitter than me and I'm holding them up, but I don't want to let them buy because the downhill's coming. So I, I don't want to dab. dab. This yeah. is a cross country race bike made for like, a, it's meant to be a t- race tool. Well, why would you dab? Because your handling is more stable. I'm on the climbs, dude. Yeah. Like some tricky ass climb. I've been riding these bikes and they're noticeably harder on the climb than a bike with a steeper head angle that's shorter. And that's just the way that it is. It was sure. so easy. Like that, the Czech Supercaliber and the Canyon Lux, like it's not, the numbers are not that different, but it's so much easier to make it around tight corners. And if you need to like change lines really quickly, it's so much more easy. Oh on yeah. Those two and bikes. riding, riding with Sarah on our test lap, which wasn't crazy technical, but it did have some, you know, technical-ish parts in the climb. Watching her clean stuff that I dabbed on, yeah, for sure. I want to be <laughs> on race wheelbase? bike. wheelbase? What about wheelbase? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, like, I wonder how much head angle versus reach, you know, yeah, like I mean, you have a slacker. It's all, all the numbers go together, but it's all in there. But I think those sort of situations, like I enjoy cross country racing, but that's my nightmare situation where I'm like on a climb. I am, I'm at 120%. My legs are full of acid. There's way faster guys that are behind me who are, they're comfortable and I'm holding them up on the climb, but the descent is coming and yeah, no, I don't want, I want a race bike because I'm going to drop them on the descent, even though I have a 70 degree head angle. There. And even in races, like when, when I was racing, like there'd be like double track or like a technical single track, double track, and then you drop into the woods almost like every time. And people can't really pass you once you get onto the elbows downhill. out, bitches. Yeah, unless yeah, right? you like have yeah. a, like big over the bars, like the uphill, that climbing section is what yeah, that's the passing really. happens. Yeah. yeah. So what's put your let's do predictions again. We can check in again in two years. What does the what does the next, uh, I don't know, what does the next uh, super caliber end up with a head tube angle? I'm just saying super caliber, whatever. Uh, it could be next. What's Scott's Two spark? degrees. What's the they next go two spark? degrees. <laughs> I think we're going to see lux. stuff in the, in the 67 to 68 range for a while. Mm-hmm. No one's, I don't think anyone is going to be too crazy. I think the Epic is probably going to be the slackest bike for a couple of years. Um, yeah. What about after that? Do you think, do you think that there will ever be a 65 degree XC race bike? I think that other things will have to change, uh, geometry wise before that's possible. Yeah. Do you think that the majority of XC racers would do better or worse? Would, would be better served with a slacker bike right now? Um, no, I'm not convinced of that, to be honest. No. I'm, yeah, I mean, they're doing all right, it seems like, with what they have. So. Th- those guys, a lot of them are very skilled, too. Um, you know, I've, uh, so I was talking to some engineers. This is a couple years ago. I was talking to some engineers at a bike company, and they had a new cross-country bike that was coming out that was slacker and longer, and they said that it took them two races, World Cup races, I think, to convince their racers to get on the bike, um, to even do like time testing kind of stuff. And then they realized it was faster. And then both of the racers had the best results. They went from having like similar results, you know, that they've had previously, previous seasons to having the best results they've ever had as soon as they got on the new bike in the middle of the season. Interesting. It seems yeah. kind of almost unfair to athletes to like launch a new bike in the middle of a season too. Like I feel like as a bike brand, you really want to be careful about when you launch the yeah. bikes and get them on prototypes at least. A lot of those racers, they've been on them for longer than we've seen as well too though. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, a lot of them, they don't they don't want to change. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think that XC, XC, well, racers in general are, are conservative, right? They They aren't they aren't we've talked about this before they aren't the beacons of the future that i think maybe some people downhill and enduro racers included yeah Mm -hmm. so conservative so i don't know if uh can it's not surprising to me that it took some convincing and then it's not surprising to me that they got faster when they had 
they were able to recover a little bit more on the descents. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, I could be I convinced guess. either way, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if we got, the, you know, the geometry is going to change a bit, but we're probably not going to see the crazy drastic changes we've seen in the enduro downhill trail world, all that. But is there anything else that stood out that you think could stand to be changed? Like, Sarah, did you want dropper posts on all of your bikes or Levy, do you want... I don't know. I would better tires or... on all of the bikes. I I mean dropper posts, like they're some so good now that I yeah, it's hard to ride without a dropper post once you get used to it. It's just like and like it's so easy to press the button on most of them, not that Canyon Lux one, but other than that, like you don't have to think to um yeah, make it work. And yeah, it's just so much easier going downhill. Although that being said, I like when I use a dropper post and then you like rally on the downhills on a longer descent, you're more likely to get leg cramps. So that's always when I cramp after a long descent. Yeah. So you, yeah. Yeah. Kinda there's don't been times. Rally. Yeah. There's been times where I'll leave my seat post up on the descent. So I almost force myself to recover. But we have really long descents here in BC and most cross country race courses don't have descents that are that long. So they can all use dropper posts in cross country world. Yeah. Races. And that's why you see a lot of short, yeah. like super short droppers just to give you that little option, but still you can sit down yeah. if you need to. But yeah. How about you leave anything stand out that you think could be improved in your category? Uh, something that stood out for me is all the different ways to do this so-called down country thing. They're all vastly different. The Evo uses the front triangle from their race bike it's extremely light, but also slackish. I mean, the spur is, it's got crazy geo. Um, the Rangers got some interesting geometry as well. And then there's Cannondale that's using the same frame, complete frame as their cross country race bike. And that makes it different. It doesn't make it worse. Just definitely makes it different. Just all the different ways to do it. Yeah. The only one that's a real down country bike in my mind is that Evo, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if me. we're going to see that, like, down country become more of, like, a, a easily category, yeah. categorized uh, category. Whereas, it's, like, it was, XC race, it is obvious what it is, but down country, it's, like, so big. Yeah, so, I mean, it was totally meant to be a joke. So, it's not a real category, I get it. But when I joked about it, I, I wrote that I wanted a pure XC race bike. But I wanted wider handlebars. I wanted a short stem, dropper post, maybe a better tire on the front. But I still wanted it to be crazy light. Uh, and I mean, the Epic Evo, the Cannondale, those both are built on... On that premise, yeah. On that premise with yeah, more travel, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, it looks I mean, like you got it. So that's cool. Yeah, you have bikes that... That I spur got is almost an enduro bike. That spur is insane. It's definitely yeah. not an enduro bike. No, it's definitely <laughs> not an enduro bike, people. <laughs> I'm just joking, but it's... When you ride it, it yeah, it's uh, it's an impressive thing. Have you tried it yet, Cass? Yeah, that's the only bike out of all these ones you guys have been on that, that I've tried. Yeah, I was super impressed. Like, that would be my style of cross-country bike. Totally. Just because yeah. it's, you know, it lets me do silly things, but it's still light, and I could go out and just smash the miles without needing to wear full spandex. So I got to say, from, the, from just the looks of them and the numbers and things, that Epic Evo speaks to me. That is a very, very compelling bike. You know, I have a medium here as well. Don't I you? do know you have a medium. I'm going to sit in here. For, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm going to accidentally sending the wrong size. <laughs> yeah. I got to ride it. It's awesome. It's so good. <laughs> what, what, you wear, you have to wear spandex if you wear it though, Brian. That's the rule. I wear spandex sometimes. Full spandex on the skin outside. Suit. All skin suit. Uh, yeah, yeah. White skin suit yeah. in the rain. <laughs> Sarah, what's you are the only person who's been able to do an apples to apples comparison of the of a down country bike versus a non down country bike because you guys are riding different sizes. You haven't been able to do real back to back comparisons. How does that Evo compare to the to the race bike? I mean, it has a dropper post, so that's awesome. Uh, it has a sixty six degree head tube angle. Six and a half. Six and a half. Yeah. Um, longer reach like it's just it's way more it's way easier to ride on the downhills basically tell me about suspension sarah compare the suspension brain on your race bike to no brain on my cool bike you said it right there cool bike (laughs) 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 no i mean the brain was um i think it was just difficult to go back and forth between all the other bikes that didn't have brains and the specialized with the brain um so the epic evo just feels a lot more natural um and i mean it doesn't feel plush by any means, like it's still super, 
fast on the climbs. Like you wouldn't, you barely notice that you're not. Do you guys know if they, if that backend has, because it is a different backend than the regular Evo, they didn't just remove the brain, right? Like they added a bunch of anti-squat, So it uses, uses an entirely different rear end and it actually makes the entire frame lighter than the race frame because it doesn't use the brain and different suspension kinematics. There's a little bit more anti-squat on there. They said, um, just to help because yeah, it doesn't have the brain still feels fast. Yeah, it's like a great, like, it, it, like, bridges the gap, I think, between our two categories. Like, it's yeah. it's almost a cross-country race bike. It's, like, just, but you say, you know, it's part of the down-country category as well. Like, it's just, you know, so fast and so light that you can definitely imagine racing a cross-country race yeah. on that bike. It's also a million dollars, so it better be really freaking yeah. good. Well, I that, could, yeah. borrow one of those, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, works epic. The race version as well is also, you know, the same price. So if I was going to choose between the two. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Well, for me, like if I was going to do the BC bike race, I think I would choose that Epic Evo. Yeah. Why is that? Um, I mean, I think the recovery on those downhills is pretty important. Um, and also I didn't, I mean, it's, I didn't do time lapse back and forth with it, but it still feels really fast on the climbs and um, the no brain. I quite enjoyed the natural feeling of that suspension on it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that kind of wraps up our field test XC talking Kaz, for now. Kaz, I thought you were going to make well, way more fun of me and Lycra. This is I, disappointing. Well, we can, but I don't know. There's only like, in my mind, just the Lycra's, the fact that you have to wear Lycra to ride a cross country bike, that's ridiculous. And I think it makes the sport look weird and goofy. Like it's such a weird and goofy sport. Now there's adult males wearing skin tight things in the woods. Have you seen football? You mean That's like America's clothing? greatest sport, isn't it? It's really weird. I just don't understand. They make this nice, mm. like slim fitting baggy stuff now. But you but have to ba- wear your lycra under it. So then it's warm. No, you don't wear lycra. We've already had this debate. So this is a separate <laughs> topic. It's just fashion. You can wear whatever you want in the woods. <laughs> like you can wear so cut off nice, t-shirts and short shorts. I there's do like a, the pockets on the back. There's a the huge t-shirt. difference between <laughs> even slim baggies, the lightest slim baggies and lycra. Yeah, I'm, if I'm going, no, for you a should bike see ride? these ones I got. I have these ones that have like a yoga pant top. They're from Gore. They're like they have lots of mesh and things. You'd like them. Oh, you mean the waistband? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the waistband. <laughs> I could show you. I'm wearing them. <laughs> Just ready to go mountain biking at any moment. <laughs> I'll stand up and see. see? It's like uh, yeah. oh, Kaz, Kaz, I'm wearing those exact ones right now. I have. <laughs> see, they're pairs. so good. Yeah, they're invisible. See, I'm yeah. just wearing yeah, yoga I wear pants them with your underwear, wear and yeah. they're, they're 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 amazing. I know. Yeah, yeah. but I don't wear yeah. them riding without lycra because I'm not a crazy person. Yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> this is our our high important fashion debate. Yeah, and on that note, <laughs> yeah, we'll move into comment gold. <laughs> uh, there's a comment on the ext fork first ride article from Paulville 301. He says the exact number of clicks varies slightly due to assembly tolerances. That was a direct quote from the article. And he says, sounds very Italian to me, which was pretty funny. You know, to to be fair, that's true of everybody's suspension. Yeah, it is true. They just, they just mentioned it. Um, sometimes they have 11 clicks and sometimes they have 12. Yeah. I don't understand why that is. Like I do. Assembly tolerances. It's just, no, nobody knows. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just how it's happens. like seating <laughs> tubeless tires. Nobody knows how it happens. Yeah. It <laughs> <just> <laughs> <goes>. <laughs> uh, and then we had a couple of comments on the field test uh, from this on the Epic review. Corby seven, seven, seven says, why do I like XC bikes now? Please stop that. So, sorry, Corby. I like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, that's the cool thing with these things that even if you don't, you think you don't like XC bikes, they're still bikes and you can read more about them and, dork out and then you realize like oh maybe i could try this yeah be bike curious people it it's more interesting if you're bike curious okay yeah it's good to mix it up yeah and we also had another comment on that epic review from 49th biker he says bike should be named pinky in the brain it's red but it's if you it's kind of pinkish yeah the color of your screen was not right you can maybe think it's a pink bike with a it's on pink bike yeah yeah counts so yeah and then the uh, couple more comments on the scalpel field test. We had headshot said, "Pay several thousand less and get motor," which is which is a terrible o- comment. Like that's the comment that we get all the time. It's like it is not an apples to apples comparison to motorcycles. We need to there get over this. There's too many of those. Like, like, yes, yeah, so many exactly. comments. Those are, those are silly. Like obviously, now we're going to get thousands of comments <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's 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 say uh, like there's some really annoying comments in general. There's the the I could buy a motorcycle for that. There's the like just the general cost too much. There's the, what was another one? Dentist. Oh, the, oh dentist stuff. 
the time test laps, like everybody wanting to like, where are your power files? All these things, like just some yeah. annoying. Are you going to do or, like, that exact same time ten times more? Uh, yeah. Probably not. Like no. sometimes I get hungry before the lap, and I still do it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. or, the, or or the guy who was like, like we need real XC racers doing this stuff. Like never mind that Sarah's like lined up at a World Cup XC. Like <laughs> yeah, it's oh god. And Levy's plays well at the BC bike race. Like, there yeah. are. Yeah, people like to, I don't know, everyone loves so, to judge. But. but I really like this guy's response to the pay several thousand dollars less and get a motor. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> John yeah. O'Davis, this is a great comment. Or pay twice as much for $24,000 of Lego. <laughs> Who doesn't <laughs> yeah. want $24,000 of Lego? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, just a good way to make it kind of show the comparison. It's pretty absurd. You can obviously, for more money or less money, you can buy all kinds of things. Yeah, it's what are your priorities, you know? Yeah, Legos, ice cream, burritos. Yeah. And the final comment is on the Danger Home Light Downhill Bike uh, Project article. And Lazadan says, my next project, heaviest hardtail XC hill climb bike possible to be featured with a dude who has pipe cleaners for legs. So, yep. And we told him if he does that, we will put that on the homepage. So, <laughs> yep, I'm excited to see his heaviest XC hill climb hardtail possible. All right, everybody. That's it for episode 17, the Lycra episode. Did all these field test videos get you guys stoked on XC bikes? Do you guys consider, would you consider an XC bike now more than you would have before? Let us know in the comments if that's something you're going to see more of. You probably will anyway, though. We're going to do a lot more XC, so yeah. <laughs> definitely. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Yeah.